Jesus. He's a character in the Bible. <laughs> he has something to do to do with God. Long hair, wears a white robe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, actually, I, I I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I've never personally met him, but I know a lot of people have. He was a prophet. One of them. One of the many. A nice guy from the Middle East. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. An everyday guy. A man of conviction. He knows what it feels like to be human, to be rejected. The friend of, of those that are often mocked. I don't know. A man Yeah. who who lived he at one point. Nobody knows who Jesus is, let me tell you. 33-year-old carpenter from the Middle East. That's like a dude that like in the Bible says he died for us. Paved a way for us to, to live differently. He was somebody, he did live, right? But who he was to you is different. I think Jesus is just a symbol, it has symbolism. Jesus is my savior. But he could also really be a good friend. He's relatable to me. He's my everyday chance at life. The creator of all, that's who I believe is. He's the reason why we're all here. Who is Jesus? That is the question that we're asking this Easter. And happy Easter to all of you. Thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. If you're new here, I'm Wyatt, and I'm the pastor. And if you're not new here, you may not recognize me because my shirt's tucked in. I am Wyatt, (laughs) and it's good to be with you. Happy Easter. Who is Jesus? That's a question that people have been asking for a long time. We're not the first. Actually, even just from the very beginning, when Jesus was doing his earthly, his earthly ministry, teaching, healing, it was really the question that was on everyone's mind. Who is this man? You know, to the religious leaders of the day, to the Pharisees, Jesus was a threat. He was somebody who challenged their power and their authority. To the crowds, Jesus was a marvel. He was a wonder. He, he was maybe somebody who could solve their problems. But actually, It was the disciples who had the hardest time answering the question, who is Jesus? They believed he was amazing. They had seen him do incredible things. They had heard him teach. They had decided that he was worth following. But figuring out exactly who he was was a challenge. It actually took a very long time for people to come to that answer. See, people were whispering about Jesus. They were asking questions that they weren't sure they should even dare ask. And Jesus knows that. He knows that people are talking about him, that even his own disciples behind his back are talking about who he is. And so one day, Jesus just decides that he's going to come out with it. And so he's with the 12. He's with the disciples that he's been walking around with. And he turns and he just asks a very simple, a very pointed question. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? If you read through the New Testament, you'll see that the Son of Man is Jesus's favorite term referring to himself. And so what Jesus is asking his disciples is, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing out on the streets. And, and the disciples, they, they give him the answer. This is verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. See, John the Baptist was one of the most famous 
teachers of the day. He had been out in the wilderness. He was an eccentric person, to say the least, but he taught in a way that he drew crowds who would come out into the wilderness to sit and to hear John the Baptist teach on the kingdom. And so some people are saying that's who Jesus is. He's, he's another great teacher, and he has much to show us about who God is and who we are, and we want to come and we want to learn from him. That's what some people are saying. Some people are saying he's Elijah. Elijah from the Old Testament, he was known for his miracles. It was Elijah who called down fire from heaven that consumed an offering that had already been soaked in water. When Elijah declared that it would not rain, immediately a drought came for years. And when he declared that it would rain again, water started to fall immediately. Elijah was a man who put God's power on display through the way that he could do miracles. And some people said, that's who Jesus is. He's another miracle worker, and they'd seen Jesus do amazing things as well. Feed the 5,000, walk on water, all kinds of incredible miracles, heal the sick. And so they say, Jesus is another person who's showing us God's power. Some say he's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. And the prophets were men and women who spoke on behalf of God. They brought a message from God to God's people. And they said, that's who Jesus is. He's another prophet to come and bring us the word of God the Lord. And Jesus certainly had been doing that. And yet all these answers, they're they're good answers. They're things that Jesus did and, and who he was. And yet Jesus knows that the disciples are still kind of avoiding the question. They're not getting to the point of what Jesus is asking because Jesus knows that the real question on people's minds is if he is the Messiah. That word, it means anointed one. It refers to a king. And there was this promise in the Old Testament, this hope, this expectation that as broken and as messed up as the world was, God would send a king who would rule on the throne in Jerusalem, who would reign and bring God's kingdom to earth as it was in heaven, that he would right every wrong, that he would restore God's people to power and to honor. And they longed for this because they were under Roman oppression where they couldn't even rule themselves, but they knew that God said one day he would fix it. And people are asking the question in whispers and behind closed doors, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the disciples, they didn't, they didn't touch that question. And so Jesus, he presses in. He doubles down. He, he turns to them and he says this. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Okay, you've heard people talk. You heard what others are saying. But you're my disciples. You've walked with me. It was actually from your hands that we fed the 5,000. You've heard me teach. So you... Who do you think I am? It's a question that all of us will have to answer in our own life. It's actually the most important question you will ever answer. Your answer to the question of who Jesus is will change your life. It will set you on a completely different trajectory. It will change every relationship you have, everything you value, everything you give your time and your energy to will be defined by the way that you answer this question when Jesus asks you, who do you say that I am? And yet it takes a lot of faith and a lot of courage to put yourself out there and to answer that question. Certainly for the disciples it did. Nobody was eager to, to say it out loud because these hopes, these expectations, you know, if you verbalize them, then you can be disappointed. Then you can be rebuked. And so it was easier to keep them to yourself. And yet Jesus is putting the pressure on. He's, he's putting them on the spot. He's saying, you know, you actually have to tell me what you think. 
I was kind of laughing about that this week. I mean, it almost reminds me of how dating used to be. You know, I don't know if you ever knew this. Before apps existed, you actually started romantic relationships with people you knew in your life. And uh, I was in high school when this was a thing. And uh, it was totally different. Because on an app, like, we all know what's going on. Like, you're on the dating app. I'm on the dating app. Obviously, we're interested in a romantic relationship. But in real world, like, you have a friendship, and, and there's this unspoken thing of what this actually is. Like, is this becoming more than that? And, and kind of no one wants to be the first one to verbalize that unspoken hope and expectation of what it could be. You know, in high school, so, like, to get away, away from the awkwardness of maybe being rejected, we would never talk about it. Like, you would never just tell a girl, I like you you would send your friend to go talk to her friend to talk to her, and then she would tell her friend what she thought, who would tell your friend, who would come back and tell you, no. No, she doesn't think that, you know. Like, or, that, was, that was my experience anyways. I don't know. Uh, that was your experience. But, I mean, it's so awkward to just name it that we come up with all kinds of terms to get around having to say how we actually feel. So, like, we would say, you know, do you like that person? Which, of course, meant more than do you like them. And it was so confusing that sometimes you had to explain. You know, I mean, like, do you like like them? Do you know what I mean? And kids are still doing this today. I mean, I've been informed, like, the new terms, you know, uh, people that are interested in each other, you would say, they're talking. They're talking. And it doesn't mean that they're talking, obviously. It means, you know, they're talking. <laughs> like, could you be less committal, you know? Like, or, or another one, and I'm not, I'm not making this up, but you go talk to the high school students after this. They'll, they'll verify this. Another phrase, they're thinging. They're thinging. It's not, are they dating? No, they're thinging. Like, we will acknowledge that a thing is taking place, but we will not name it, nor will we define it. I mean, that, it is so hard to put yourself out there, and yet that's what Jesus is asking his disciples right now. Saying, okay, you've been whispering, you've been wondering, you've been hoping, but you have not talked to me about it, so now the time has come. Who do you say that I am? And if any of the disciples are the ones who would speak of, you'd expect it to be Peter, and that's exactly what happens. He's a man of action, and so Simon Peter answered, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He said, I, I do believe. I believe that you are the promised king, that you are the one who will come to heal God's creation, to restore the kingdom to Israel. My hopes, my expectations, my dreams, they're on you, Jesus. I believe. That is what Peter is declaring. And, and he puts himself out there, and Jesus gives him the response he was hoping for. Jesus says, absolutely Peter, you are correct. And in fact, not only that, but you didn't even come up with this on your own. It was given to you by my Father in heaven. God gave you the answer to that question. And Peter is flying high. I mean, he, he called it. He knew it. He took a risk. It paid off. He looks good in front of all the other disciples. And yet, the problem is that Peter doesn't have a clue what that means. He doesn't have any idea what it means that Jesus is, is the Messiah, that he's the king. And, and in fact, in that very same conversation, just a couple of verses later, he goes from the mountaintop to one of the worst moments in his life because Jesus goes on to explain what it means that he is the Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm not going to go to a throne. I'm going to go to a cross. And I'm not going to have a, a, a crown of gold put on my head. I'm going to have a crown of thorns put on my head. And, and Peter, hearing where Jesus is going, he, he rebukes Jesus. He says, Jesus, no, you can't die. And Jesus, who just moments earlier had said, God has given you insight into who I am, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
because your concerns are the concerns of this world, not the concerns of God. See, Peter, he, he almost got it, but he missed it at the same time. And this idea of who Jesus is, it was still escaping the disciples. And see, the reality is, there are some things about Jesus that just nobody could fathom until Easter Sunday. Until after they'd gone through the suffering and after they'd seen all their hopes dash, after the cross... It wasn't until Easter Sunday when Jesus rose to life, when the tomb was empty, that finally people could start to piece together the reality of who Jesus is. And it's his followers, after the fact, reflecting back, having seen the resurrection, having finally put it together, who are the ones who can tell us the answer to the question of who Jesus actually is. See, this is what the Apostle Paul has to say. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. See, Peter's problem was that he had a much too small idea of who Jesus was. And that would have been a crazy thing for Peter to hear because he thought he had a huge view of Jesus. He thought that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the promised king. He thought he was going to overthrow the most powerful empire that any of them had ever seen. He thought that Jesus was going to make Israel into God's kingdom on earth. And yet even thinking that, Peter still had far too small a view of Jesus. See, Peter was concerned with first century problems, with the problems of taxation, the problems of oppression, the problems of their life. And he thought that Jesus was the answer. And yet seeing the resurrection, Paul looks back and he says, you were dreaming too small. No, see, Jesus is actually the image of the invisible God. The creator of all things is physically manifest in who Jesus is. You look around our world, everything you see, everything was created by Jesus. He brought all things into existence, the visible and the invisible. And not only did he create all things, look at the end of this verse, all things were created for him. Not only did he make everything, he made everything to bring him glory and him honor. Paul's saying, your view of Jesus is too small. It's hard for us to even comprehend what this means. Like, can, can you think about how big our God is? How amazing Jesus is that he brought all things into existence? I mean, it breaks our little finite human brains to even try to think about the glory and the vastness of God. So I, I want to try to shrink it down for you a little bit. Doug, thank you very much for holding on to my globe for me here. So, I mean, Jesus created all things. And this is not even all things. This is just earth. You know, this is a little tiny 16-inch diameter globe. We're here somewhere, you know. But, like, do you realize the amazing creation that we live in? This is, this is one 43 millionth the size of planet Earth. You're looking at it right here. We've shrunk Earth down to 143 millionth its size. This is what it would look like. And, and yet, Earth is just a tiny little planet in our galaxy. Uh, in fact, even our own sun dwarfs it. At this scale, 
If we had our son on the stage, it actually wouldn't even fit in this auditorium. Its diameter would be 150 feet wide. That's how much bigger the sun is than Earth. It would be some 2.2 miles away from us in distance as well. Like the, the world is just massive. And, and we are on this little planet. We're a little blip here. And we just take for granted every day that the universe just runs how it's supposed to, you know? Do you, like, do you ever think about this? Right now, as we sit here in this auditorium, the Earth we're on is spinning... A thousand miles an hour. We're moving a thousand miles an hour right now. Well, not only a thousand, because while it's spinning at a thousand miles an hour, it's also a flying space rock, and we're traveling through space at 67,000 miles an hour, being held in place by the gravity of the sun, which is so far away we can't even grasp it. You know, this is what's happening to you right now. Do you feel it? Of course not, because we don't care. We're just like, yeah, but I have my issues and my problems that I want to talk about, you know? Like, it was amazing. Jesus made all of this, and, and, and he did it in ways that you can't even fathom. We're traveling 67,000 miles an hour while spinning around at 1,000 miles an hour, and yet you go to Disneyland, and you get in the teacups, and you throw up. Like, I, <laughs> you cannot explain that to me, okay? I, it is an amazing world that we live in. And, and Paul is saying, look, when you get the resurrection, you need to step back. You need to realize who Jesus is. is he's all of this. He made it all for his glory. And in the scope of who Jesus is and his power and his everything that he's done, I mean, we're pretty tiny. We're kind of insignificant. You know, we, we're right here. Uh, on this scale, you know, 143 millionth, a human being standing six feet tall, it's the, it's the thickness of a human hair divided by a thousand. Like one thousandth the thickness of a human hair. Pull a hair out of your head and look at that. One one thousandth, that's how tall you are. We're just a little speck, you know? And, and often our view of Jesus is too small also because we start with our little speck perspective. We think that Jesus is here primarily to take care of our speck problems, you know? We need our speck job isn't that good and we need a new speck car and I want to go on vacation because this weather is just depressing and, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to be here somewhere, you know? And, and, and so that's what we bring to Jesus. And yet... The resurrection is bigger than that. Paul is saying, look, Jesus created it all. When you think about what he accomplished on Easter, recognize that he came to redeem everything. This is how Paul finishes his thought in Colossians 1. He says that, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peter thought that Jesus was here to fix first century problems. Often we think Jesus came to fix 21st century problems. What Paul is saying is actually, when you understand what the resurrection was doing, it was fixing everything Jesus created, all of creation. That's very good news because as amazing as creation is, we all know that this place is pretty broken. There's things going on on earth that we have no answers for. There's war, there's famine, there's heartache, there's depression and anxiety. There is betrayal, there's abuse. There, I mean, all kinds of things have gone wrong. And see, what Jesus came to do is he came to fix what we broke. And Jesus calls that the kingdom of God. Thank you, Doug. See, we all have our own kingdoms 
We, we were made, Jesus made all of us to bring him honor and glory. And yet rather than do that, we all live to bring ourselves honor and glory. And everyone's been doing that from the beginning. And you take generation and generation of human beings trying to build their own little kingdoms, living for themselves, getting what's good for them, and fast forward, and what you get from that is the world that we all know and live in today, a broken place full of heartache and pain and suffering. And so Jesus shows up, and he says, I'm the king who came to fix that. I'm the king who came to bring a new kingdom, God's kingdom, and I'm inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing. That's what Easter is. It's an invitation that you don't have to live for yourself any longer. You don't have to live for your kingdom and you can be a part of the healing of all things that Jesus came to begin. You know, I was saying earlier that we're just a little speck and it's true. I mean, we're just a blip. We're like a vapor. We're here one moment and gone the next. And yet, one of the most beautiful things about Easter is that even though Jesus is huge and amazing and powerful and we are so small and insignificant, Easter actually is for us too. This is Paul in Romans chapter 5. He says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The God of all the universe who has all power and holds everything in his hands, when he went to the cross on Good Friday, when he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, it was for us. See, you actually aren't a speck to God. He knows you. He created you in every part of who you are. He knows your hopes and your dreams. He knows your fears and your failures. He knows the secrets that you don't think anybody else knows. And he knows what you were created for. See, so many of us, we walk around with our our too small view of Jesus. We, We think that we figured out what life is about and what we actually need and what we want Jesus to do is to give it to us. And see, Jesus actually does the opposite. He says, you've been living for your own kingdom. You've been trying to build a life that you think is going to bring meaning, but you can't find meaning in the things of this world. You were created for more than that. Do you know that? Like, I know there's some part of you that knows that you were made for more than 80 years of shopping on Amazon and drinking Starbucks and watching Netflix. Like, Life is more than that. Do you know that? You were created to bring honor and glory to an infinite and amazing God who loved you enough to die for you and to invite you to live with him. Maybe it's time to respond to that truth this morning. Jesus invites you to follow him. And that means recognizing that he is king, that that you are a part of his kingdom that you're going to die to yourself, that you're not going to live for your, your own ideas any longer, but you're going to submit to him as the king and walk with him. And, and he tells us that when we make that decision, the way that we can tell the world that truth, that we can declare who Jesus is, is to get baptized. And we're going to baptize some people this morning. There's some people here at Alderwood who have decided that Jesus is everything to them, that they're going to walk with him all the days of their life. And so they've decided to come and to declare that for you this morning, that they belong to Jesus, that they are part of his kingdom now. And see, what baptism is, if you've ever seen anybody get baptized, we, we dunk people under the water. And what that is, it, it's a statement that I have died and been buried just like Jesus. Like Jesus, was di- like, like Jesus died and he was buried in the tomb, so my life and my kingdom, my hopes, my dreams, my ideas, I put them to death with Jesus. 
And then as we come up out of the water, what we're saying is just like Jesus was raised to life on Easter morning, I've received that new life too. And the life that I live now, I don't live it for myself, but I live it for the one who died for me. I live for King Jesus, and I'm going to walk with him all the days of my life. That's what baptism declares. And you're going to see people make that declaration this morning. But I wonder if it's time for you to make that same declaration. And I know you didn't bring a change of clothes this morning, but maybe the Spirit is working on your heart and inviting you to say, make a statement this morning. Declare for the world that you will walk away from your own life and your own kingdom, that you will come and receive grace and mercy and forgiveness because of the cross. And and if you're ready to do that this morning, I want today to be the day that your life changes, to say yes to Jesus, to say that you want to follow him. And we want to baptize you this morning. Uh, We've got a shirt for you. We've got a towel. I can't do anything about your pants. I'm sorry. Uh, Your car is going to be a little wet, but I promise you it'll be worth it. We baptized four people this morning. Two of them made the decision right here. You can make that decision as well. We're going to keep singing together. And maybe you just need to worship this morning. You just need to sing and express your gratitude to God. But maybe you need to take a further step. And and there's going to be some pastors, some great people right here on the side of the room. And at any point in this next worship set, if you want to talk about baptism, if you want to say, I want to get baptized this morning to declare who Jesus is, we want you to do that. And I just invite you As we're singing, come over, talk to us. We can get you baptized this morning. And if God is inviting you to do that, if he's putting that on your heart, let's make it happen today. At one point, all of us are going to have to answer the question. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, but you, who do you say that I am? How will you answer?